Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over there and start using it now. Earners, what's up? Look, I wanna give y'all a little peek behind the curtain of producing Earn Your Leisure. It's a lot more than just sitting down and chatting. It involves meticulous planning, recording, editing, and then promoting each episode to ensure it reaches all of you. And if you picked up any of our merch, then you know there's a whole extra layer of logistics from inventory management to shipping. Running a podcast is like running a small business. And speaking of business, I know many of you entrepreneurs are involved in e-commerce. You understand how crucial it is to streamline operations and cut costs wherever possible. That's why I want to talk to you about ShipStation, the multi-carrier shipping solution that integrates seamlessly with all your online sales channels. It's all about optimizing your shipping, connecting with expert partners, and freeing up more of your time to focus on scaling your business. Now let's talk about our experience with ShipStation. This tool has been a game changer for us, especially with automating routine tasks. Being able to manage everything from one dashboard and print shipping labels with just a click absolute lifesavers. Plus, the discounts we get on shipping costs are incredible. Honestly, it feels like we're saving thousands. And as our show and merch sales have grown, ShipStation's robust automation and reporting features have helped us keep up without missing a beat. For those of you who get overwhelmed by order volumes, ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard is a dream come true. You can import orders from any sales channel, apply shipping preferences automatically, and handle customer service issues right there. Not to mention the savings with up to 89% off carrier rates like UPS, DHL Express, and USPS. It's no wonder over 130,000 companies stick with ShipStation long-term. So, are you ready to turn your shipping challenges into growth opportunities? Head over to ShipStation.com and use promo code EARN for a free 60-day trial. Again, that's ShipStation.com, promo code EARN. Start streamlining your shipping and scaling your business today. What is your stance on reparations? Yes. You know, I, I understand the moral, uh, moral uh, 
uh, argument for reparations. I think race based reparations are uh, are uh, very very obviously unconstitutional under the you know recent um, Supreme Court uh, decision in the Harvard case. Oh, so I you know my approach to economic development in in black communities i think is more comprehensive than that and you know less i and and constitutional i i've worked for 35 years as um as on the board of directors of bedford stuyvesant restoration which is the oldest community development corporation my father started it in our country and in one of the poorest black neighborhoods in america and I watched what economic development could do to those neighborhoods. You know, one of the problems in black neighborhoods is that there is no equity. And, 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 and we have systematically stripped equity, including men, namely home ownership from black neighborhoods. By 2030, there will be essentially zero black equity left in this country. And uh, and that's destroying these neighborhoods. If you don't own a home, if you don't own something that you can borrow money on, you have no entree to American capitalism. You are no longer a citizen. You are now a subject. And um, the, you know the the challenge is, and and you know that those those uh, communities are redlined. It was black communities that the entire nation, you know, collapsed. Our real estate collapsed in 2008 because of these balloon mortgages and these exotic instruments. Well, those companies were testing those exotic instruments for a decade earlier in black That was the testing zone. And those, you know, Bed-Stuy, when I started working there, was the reason my father chose that neighborhood is it was very poor, but it had a high incident of home ownership by black families, many who have been there from the Civil War. And so they had the opportunity to start businesses and they were very entrepreneurial. Um, the, the problem is they were redlined and my father ended that and got them access to capital. And the other thing, problem with, with black businesses is that a lot of, you know, the, the, there's not the accrued um, knowledge business knowledge in black communities. Like my father always said, you know, if he wanted to start a business, he'd call a friend of his from Harvard, the Harvard Business School and say, how do you solve this problem? How do you do this accounting issue? You know, how do you, how do you handle inventories? You know, what, how do, when do you pay for the inventories, et cetera? In a black neighborhood, there is not that accrued knowledge and people can't pick up the phone and get it. So one of the things we did with bedside is we made those mentorships um, available to them. And when we first started working in Bed-Stuy, Fulton, Fulton Street in Brooklyn, there wasn't a single open business. They were all boarded up. Today, it's a thriving community with Black-owned businesses everywhere. And, you know, the other thing we need to be doing in those communities is it's a criminal, it's criminal what we're doing to schools, urban schools in this country. Kids are not getting educated. They're being warehoused in those schools and you know what i i see people t teaching about for diversity training and you know and and you know and all of these sort of anti-racism education and enforcement etc with that you see which is all great but 
you know, that's not going to solve the problem. What solves the problem, if you have a generation of kids who have self-confidence, who believe in themselves, who have access to capital, who are part of families that are building businesses, who, who own a business for, for themselves. I was calling, you know, when I was a kid, there was a lot of anti-Catholic prejudice in this country, and I got called names like mackerel snatcher, et cetera, and it never bothered me. I would think, you know, it's that person's problem they're calling me that. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of my religion. And, you know, it, I I was able to feel that way. So, I, Mr. Mr. Kennedy, not to cut you off, but just, um, I just wanted to go, because you said, so I think we did two different conversations as far as black economic empowerment. That's important. That's kind of the basis of our of our whole show. Um, but the, the question was specifically around reparations. So you said, you know, you're anti that. Um, and you said that I believe you said it's, it's unconstitutional. But um, were Japanese Americans not compensated for wh what happened to them during World War Two? Yeah, Japanese Americans were compensated. And I think if reparations were not race based, um, that, uh, for example, if you just said, no matter what race you are, if you can trace your lineage back to slavery, you, you, there, you, could, you could not do reparations for Jim Crow. You can make a very strong moral case for that, you know. Um, and I grew up in a Jim Crow state, but you couldn't, you can't do race based. You could say, okay, if I trace my lineage back to slavery, and my family was you know, promised uh, 40 acres and a mule, and then we got double-crossed on that, that you can, that, you know, you could conceivably bring that case and that it would be, um, uh, that would pass constitutional muster. Do I think that that case uh, politically, uh, that you can, that you could, uh, that you could, uh, push through those kind of reparations in Congress, I think it would be a very, very heavy lift. So you brought up a few issues, right? You talked about the lack of education in our community, the lack of schools, which hence talks about the lack of education, you talked about the lack of businesses in our communities. You said the issues with having no home equity, and these are all issues redlining you brought up. I want to talk about something that also plagues our communities, and that's criminal justice and mass incarceration uh, and social criminal justice reform. So I want to know what your thoughts are around that, because as we know, uh, Black, African-Americans, and Latinx communities are disproportionately incarcerated more so than anybody in our country and pretty much the world, for that matter. So what are your thoughts around criminal justice reform? Well, I think the, you know, the 1986 Criminal Justice Act and then, the, you know, 1994, which incidentally were both supported by or written, um, both of them by uh, President Biden were, um, you know, probably the worst blight on the African-American community. And, you know, we had, as, as you guys know, there was 100 to 1 uh, uh, in the in the 1986 act, there was a hundred to one penalty for for uh, for crack cocaine vis-a-vis powder cocaine. And crack cocaine was a black jaw drug. 
They're both cocaine. They're both the same drug, but the form was more common. Crack was more common in black communities. So the penalties that were assigned to it were a hundred times. So a kid who was in a black community that got caught with some crack got a hundred times the penalty of a kid in a white community a mile away that had powder cocaine. And um, in the the years between, in the eight years after that, uh, the 86 Act, you know, with the 94 Act, well, let's say this, by 1998, the, the black population in America's prisons had doubled. And they were for mainly nonviolent crimes. It was for drug crimes. And um, and we destroyed an entire generation of black Americans. We made it in many states so they can't vote. They're disenfranchised. There was a generation of, of black children who were raised without their fathers. And, uh, you know, there was, a, 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 you know, that's, that's where rap music came from. All of these, you know, the entire culture of the black community because jailing was prison was so commonplace became it became a you know part of the part, part of the a cultural a typical cultural experience i'm i'm, I'm sorry are you saying that country no i and i what i your to answer your question i i want to get i want to stop yeah no, i just wanted to be clear what you were saying about the music itself you're saying that the music derived from the mass incarceration or because I just want to be clear. Well, so that, that I mean, mass incarceration dictated the way people dress, the music. All I'm saying is it it was so power, such a powerful and universal experience that it put the stamp on every aspect of black culture. And it's you know I don't think that that's I I'm I'm not saying anything. I'm certainly not saying anything against rap music. I'm just saying that. It changed the. It altered the entire culture, and it's not a you know it, it's not a good thing. It was not a good thing for our country. It was definitely not a good thing for the black population or for economic development or or people being able to live in this country and fulfill their potential and fulfill their expectations. And prison's not a good place to do that. So. Um, you know, that's all I was saying. And I, you know, as president, I'm going to, you know, do everything I can to make sure my father fought, you know, uh, tooth and nail for prison reform to make sure that people, when they came out of prison, that they had training, that they had, uh, that they had opportunities for education, that they had opportunities when they got out and that people weren't in prison for, you know, for crimes that, that they shouldn't be in prison for. You know, one oh. way, anyway, I mean, one way my father died, all of the, the inmates at Sing Sing and Attica wore black armbands because the, the commitment he'd made to better the, the, the conditions in the prisons and to give opportunities to people, you know, that they're not castaways. Well, you know, what I want to do is start um, is invent, you know, but prisons are now the biggest industry in rural areas in our country. And I want to develop instead a, a string of farm drug rehabs and healing uh, farms in those same rural communities where people can go if they get involved with drugs, if they, you know, um, if they're, you know, if they're uh, debilitated by depression or, um, 
uh, or dependence on on um, on psychiatric drugs that they want to get off of. There's places for them to go where they can learn to live in communities again, where they can receive job training, where they can receive um, get social skills and uh, and make sure they they can get GEDs and education or whatever. And that we have a humane way of treating people in this country who um, who've gone off on the wrong you know on the wrong tack uh, listen I was a drug addict for 14 years when I was a kid after my dad died and you know if I had been in a black community I'd probably be in prison today hmm. so uh, you know that's not fair and it's not a good thing for our country and you know I I don't you know, it's going to be one of my priorities as president. I mean, but the, the issue is systemic, right? We, we can all agree on that. And we all know from the statistics that it hasn't been a place to rehabilitate people. But from a business standpoint, I mean, the more prisoners that are taken in, the cost for it is tremendous. So private prison specifically, what, what is the benefit of not imprisoning our population? Like, what are we going to do to combat that if you're elected? Well, let me ask you something. Besides what I said, what do you think I should be doing? What do I think you should be doing? I mean, yeah, what do you think? I mean, what, tell me what, if you were president and I, or if I'm president, and I call you up on the first week and say, will you come up here and give me a plan for prison reform? What are you going to tell me to do? I, well, I, I don't think it's it's uh, a singular proposal right i think that's something that that we'd have to discuss amongst our people um from a place that's now, educated now you sound like a politician no i'm sounding like somebody that's answering your question right from a standpoint that we we know the issues and we know the people that benefit from it but every time somebody is you know trying to be elected for an office or a seat they talk about policies, but none of them are ever implemented. And so I'm asking you specifically, what are the policies, right? Are there, are there educational programs? Is it uh, police reform? Or, or are we having better training? Like, what are the specific things that are going to be implemented to combat it? Well, you know, I have a guy who's working on my campaign um, uh, who is uh, who, who served a long bit in prison and he learned to, he got his GED in there, he got an education and he came out um, feeling like it actually had been a good, a positive experience for him. And so I think it's possible that when people go to, particularly when young people go to prison, uh, we give them opportunities to actually make themselves better for when they get out of prison. And, you know, I've been in prison. I served, um, I spent the summer of 2001 in maximum security federal prison in Puerto Rico. And, you know, I, in that particular prison, there were a lot of educational opportunities for people and there were other opportunities. And then there were things that were foreclosed. Like I couldn't go to AA meetings when I was in that prison. There's something wrong with that. A lot of people are in prison. You want to have access to recovery. So I know I could tell you um, right now that, it, you know, if when I'm president, I'm going to make sure that federal prisons, that federal prisoners have access to 12-step programs. If somebody wants to recover, that's a perfect place to do it. 
and but you know what I'm also asking you, and I you know I I'm going to provide edu educational opportunities and make sure that you know that we do everything that we can to identify model programs around the country that are working, and then try to adopt those protocols in other prisons. And that's all I can tell you. But I, I mean, I'd love to hear because a lot of people ask me about prison reform, mm -hmm. and I you know what I say to them, and I said this to my friend Champ. I said, "What would you do with you or me?" And he said, "Education changed my life." So that's a good idea. I want that available to everybody. And if you have an idea, and I want to hear it, you know, because I don't know everything. I, I think first and foremost, that I know a lot about. You know, if we're going to be very honest, we're going to have to find a way to offset the seven point four billion dollars that they lose annually. So if there is cash and money-related incentives to lock our people up. There has to be a way to funnel them from the current system that they're using into another. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.